Gracious God, we give you thanks for these gifts which you have given us to share. We pray that they will be used for your kingdom and the service that brings you glory. And we pray in the name of our only Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll kindly remain standing if you're able to honor God's word. It comes to us this morning from 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 1 through 13. You then, my child, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me from, through many witness, witnesses and trust to, to faithful people who will be able to teach others as well. Share in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. And in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. It is the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in all things. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, a descendant of David. That is my gospel, for which I suffer hardship, even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, so that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is sure, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Welcome to those online. And we are grateful that um, you get to worship with us this morning. We're um, in a series of sermons on 2 Timothy that we began a couple weeks ago. And today we are up to chapter 2. We, we heard about how Paul talked about in the, chat, in the first of this series, the power of the gospel. Um, the power of the gospel. Now, young Timothy, this young pastor, is given this incredible power source. And last week, we are, he reminded us that we are to guard this treasure, guard the gospel. Today, Paul is answering the question about the fuel that drives this engine. What is this power? What is its, its source, its fuel source, in a way? The power source. And he says it's grace. It's grace. Let us pray. Lord, these words are yours, and we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, that your Holy Spirit would be the one whose voice we hear in these moments. We thank you for this word, this eternal word that does not change. Amen. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. What is the most important thing needed to start and maintain a church? Uh, our church has been involved at the um, uh, enthusiasm of our denomination to be in the business of planting new churches. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to start and then to maintain a church. So what is the most important ingredient to be able to do that work? 
I think that's one of the questions that Paul is answering here. I think he's, he's telling Timothy, this young pastor who's basically starting a church and basically at its beginning, what is the ingredient? What do you really need to make this a success? I mean, I think about all the things that Paul could have said to Timothy, this young church planter. He could have said, you know what you need? You need to be strong in personality. If you're going to start a church, you need a big, enthusiastic personality. Timothy. That's what's going to pull people in. Big, big, big personality. He could have said, we need you to be strong in wealth. Don't start this until you have sufficient funds. Have a good war chest ready because there'll be some lean times. You need to be strong in wealth, Timothy. He could have said, we need you to be strong in your advertising. Who's, people aren't going to come unless you get the word out. I mean, Facebook, and you need to use all the different means available, billboards and, and those door-hanging things. Advertise, advertise, advertise. That's the key to starting a church. He could have said, we need you to be strong in programming. Who's going to come to your church unless you have good programming for kids and for families and for seniors? Programming is the key. Paul could have said, you know what you really need to start a church? You need theological precision. You better have your theology just right. It has to be double-checked and checked by all the great scholars. No area. If a good, strong church is going to have good, strong theology. He could have said, you know what, Timothy, what we're gonna, you're going to need is you need to have strong polity. polity. Church government. Church government is everything. No, it's not. He would never have said that, ever have said that. <clears throat> forget that. Forget I said that. I had this flashback of the book of order. Never mind. Um, he could have said, be strong in influence. He could have said, be strong in your social media presence. Be strong in your board. Have the right elders around you. Get the right people on the bus with you. He didn't say any of those things. He said, Timothy, I need you to be strong in grace. Sounds a little wimpy, doesn't it? I need to be strong in grace, in forgiveness. This is essential. This is very fascinating, his advice. We might say the good theological definition of grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Now, this is a good definition, but it's, it doesn't near go far enough to describe what's at play here. It, it just does not go far enough. Dallas Willard is a great help on this. He, he, he says grace is, is that, it is his, God's favor, but it's more. It's actually God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. Think about that. It's God working in your life to do the number of things that you need and I need and a good leader needs that you're not going to be able to do on your own that I will never be able to do on my own. And then we've talked about this before. I've mentioned it because it, it just rings so true. He says, the true saint among us burns grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. 
See, a saint is not holier than other people necessarily. A saint is someone who's learned how to use and experience grace. And they do it a lot. They wake up in the morning and they confess sins. They, they receive forgiveness from God. It, it permeates their being. They've, they've learned that this is critical, that this is essential to know that we are forgiven and loved and that it pours out and that His mercies are new every morning. Why is this so important if Timothy's going to be a leader? It's critically important. Why? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but have you ever noticed that leaders get a fair amount of criticism? Have you noticed this? In our world, leaders get a little bit of criticism. Someone said that if 10% of the people you're leading aren't upset with you, you're not leading well. That's true. Ten, that's, now think about 10% of the people in your life angry with you at this moment. And that if you're being a good leader, if you're actually leading, that's the way it's going to be. That's not, not, leading is hard. It's very, very difficult. It wasn't going to be easy for Timothy. But what if Timothy, young Timothy, learned this thing called grace What if when criticism came, he was a fortress and was strong in grace? What if he learned to burn it, as as Willard says, to receive it each day, to get up in the morning and know that he's loved and embraced by God? That kind of leader will be strong and it will change everything. Because without it, how do we respond to criticism? Without that knowledge, without that experience, how do we respond to criticism? Well, the first thing we are tempted to do, and we often do, is we lash out and hurt and discredit. When criticism comes to us, our first inclination is to think, well, they hurt me, I will hurt them. And sadly, a lot of leaders act that way. We see this in politics over and over and over again. We lash out. I will discredit them. I will destroy them if they even begin to think about criticizing me. Or we become a victim, which is a weaponizing act. We become a victim and we say, well, this always happens to me. Look at how I am. Boy, in families, we see this happen a lot, right? This is how we often receive criticism in families. Or three, we could just take that criticism and internalize it. And withdraw from people more and more and more. Become more and more anxious and depressed. These are the common ways we often react to criticism. But what if that day we had received grace ourselves? What if we had received it? What if it was spilling over? We had received so much of it from God and it was, it was spilling out of us then we might enter into those discussions or with people who are upset or criticizing and we can approach those situations in a whole different way. We can actually approach them with confidence. And we can say to people, well, I'm not above my mistakes. I am human. We can say to ourselves, this person's critical of me, but God loves me more than I could ever imagine. That's the really thing, the thing that matters the most. We can even go so far as to say when criticism comes... It could be a gift. Let's just imagine, let's use the 10% number. What if when people complain about you, let's just imagine that 10% of what they're saying has real value. (laughs) Maybe it has more. 
But if you went into every situation and didn't discredit them, didn't count them away, but said, I wonder, I bet there may be something there that I need to hear. You see what a confident person can do who knows that they're loved and cherished? And maybe I will ask questions. Tell me more about your feelings toward me or to, what, to the situation. Because I'm entering into that situation saying, I need to hear, maybe there's a word from the Lord here. I'm not perfect. I've never been perfect. I absolutely will make mistakes. Maybe I made one here. I need to hear it. And if I do hear it, then it could be a blessing for me. It can be a, a new place where I could receive more grace. Earlier in the service, we prayed, John led us, we prayed in this Lord's Prayer, and our Lord teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts, our sins, as we forgive our debtors. Did you hear that? Somebody once said that that little word, as, forgive us our debts, as we forgive others, is the most terrifying little word in all the Bible. It's a process, right? People who know they are forgiven deeply by God, it is natural that it will, will spill out and there'll be people who give grace to others. That's what we're praying every Sunday. That's the definition of a good leader. I heard uh, years ago when I was in seminary, the president of our seminary traveled to South Korea to tour many of the churches in South Korea, Presbyterian churches. Their Presbyterianism had, is and continues to this day have a huge influence on that culture and in that country because of early work of Presbyterian missionaries. They have a 50,000-member Presbyterian church in Korea, 25,000-member, 30,000-member, growing like man, all these Presbyterian churches in South Korea. And the president of our seminary went and he traveled and he toured and he, and he was amazed by all of this growth, this exponential growth. And he asked one of the pastors of the largest church, he said, hey, could you tell me the secret? I mean, are, you, are, you, are your pastors involved in a certain leadership program? Are they, are they enrolled? What, I mean, what's the, what's the secret? What's the technique? I, I want to take this back to, my, to the States, to my students, and, and I want to inform them this is how you do it. And that Korean pastor looked at him in a strange way and said, no, there, no, no, no. Our president, he said, well, then what is it? And he said, well, our pastors believe the gospel. No, they really do believe it. That's it. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. You want to be a strong leader? That's it. And then Paul gives us some metaphors of what this can look like. The first metaphor he uses is, he, he says it's like a soldier. And a soldier, he talks about the discipline of obedience. This is verse 4. No one serving in the army gets entangled in everyday affairs. The soldier's aim is to please the enlisting officer. A soldier, first and foremost, is obedient to his or her superiors. The English word obedient comes from the Latin word audire, which means to listen. An obedient person is one who listens well. Perhaps if we're going to be strong in grace, all of us, 
we need to learn how to not speak so much and be people who listen. Listen to the voice of the Spirit in prayer, in prayer and obey that Spirit. Listen to the Scriptures and like a good soldier, listen to our superiors, those who are over us, who are wiser than us, who have journeyed further than us, who become helpful guides in the faith. The Holy Spirit spoke to them. Church fathers, church mothers, people like John Chrysostom and Augustine and Aquinas and the Reformers, Luther, Calvin, Teresa of Avila, maybe Julian of Norwich, modern day, Karl Barth, George Herbert, Eugene Peterson. Maybe that's my list. Maybe you have your own list. And they're voices that are all unique. They're highly creative. They're authoritative. And yet they do the same thing. They all point us to Jesus Christ. And they do it in different ways. In my office, I have a couple of these wise guides, and, and I, I go to them often when there's a hard day or hard afternoon. I will block out an hour and just say, all right, speak to me. <laughs> Tell me to hang in there. <laughs> and they do this each and every time. On Tuesday morning, our pastors, every Tuesday morning, we gather for an hour to listen to wise voices. We do that through poetry, and we do it through theology, and we do it through scripture, and just no business, no church business. We, we just gather as, as to be subservient under the tutelage of those wise guides who've gone before. Like a good soldier, we want to fall in line as a way to receive grace. The second metaphor that Paul uses is that of an athlete. He says, young Timothy, you need to have the discipline of training. Verse 5, and in the case of an athlete, no one is crowned without competing according to the rules. Like a good athlete, Paul says we need to be in good condition to deal with the temptations and the trials that will, f- will face each and every one of us. And so we have all of these means of practicing and all of these v- ways to have grace be put into us, to, to fill our, our tanks with grace. They're called the spiritual disciplines. Dallas Willard gives a list. There are some variations on this list, different well, wise saints will give you different variations, but they're basically the same. They've been tried and tested throughout the history of the church. Disciplines like solitude and silence, fasting, frugality, chastity, secrecy, sacrifice. These are disciplines that, that help us restrain ourselves and pull away a bit so that we will be have space and time and less noise to be able to receive words of grace from God. Be able to bring them into our life. I need that. And then there's some disciplines that engage us. Things like study and what we're doing here this morning. Worship or celebration or service. Prayer. Fellowship. Confession. These are all things that we are doing and gathering to do this morning. Why? We want to receive any grace. We need it. Desperately. And so like a good athlete, we need to train and practice during the week, each and every week, so that we won't get far away from it. This is what Paul is saying to young Timothy. Be strong in the grace of Jesus Christ. Finally, the last metaphor that Paul uses, he says, we need to be like a farmer. And have the discipline 
of patience. It is the farmer who does the work who ought to have the first share of the crops, he says. Now, I've never lived on a farm. Some of you have lived on a farm, and you know that farming is hard work. There is a lot to do. But um, so much of what a farmer does is, is out of his or her control. You can work as hard as you possibly can as a farmer, but if the conditions aren't right, you will not have a crop. The most important thing a farmer does is wait on those conditions, the God-provided conditions, like rain and sunlight and wind and good soil. These are things that a farmer can't manipulate all the time. These are things that you have to trust and wait. God is the primary mover in this process. We, we can never forget that. Eugene Peterson put it like this, He said, all growth in our lives is a mysterious affair. It is intricate and complex. It is the work of the Holy Spirit. Most of what happens to us we know very little about. Most of what goes on in our growth we can do very little about. Our part of spiritual formation is a very modest affair. We must never assume we can manage or control it. If we try, we will almost certainly be party to deformation rather than formation. But the alternative must not be neglect. It is necessary that we give careful attention to what we can appropriately do that will assist and not impair the formation of a mature life of Christ in ourselves and our friends. The little we can do often makes an enormous difference. We must never forget that. God is the primary mover in all things. Again, grace is actually God acting in your life to accomplish what you cannot accomplish on your own. You know what a strong leader is? Someone who waits patiently on the strength of the Lord, who isn't anxious, who isn't fearful or worried, but says, The sun will come tomorrow. He will pull through. He will give us what we need. He always does. You know that Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. You know this, right? And you also know that Humpty Dumpty had a great fall, right? All the king's horses, all the king's men, they could not put Humpty back together again. You know this. It's kind of a sad tale, is it not? That's all we remember about the story. I mean, that's kind of a tragic situation. He fell, he's broken. We're all broken, but boy, that's kind of hopeless. We teach children this this rhyme. (laughs) So it's a fair question to ask whatever happened to old Humpty Dumpty. Years ago, a fellow pastor wrote a parable about his recovery. According to this imaginative account, the king found Humpty Dumpty lying broken in a back alley. For nearly a year, the king pleaded with Humpty to let him try to repair him by putting together, by putting together the broken pieces of Humpty's life. For nearly a year, Humpty refused, announcing his various reasons for simply accepting his condition. He, he was playing the role of a victim. Then one day, something inside Humpty Dumpty changed. 
he was willing to let the king give it a shot. Well, the king took weeks picking up the broken pieces and carefully reassembling Humpty Dumpty. It was a slow and painstaking task. And then came the moment when the king lifted Humpty Dumpty to his feet. He needed a great deal of support. His first steps were quite wobbly, but the king held him under his arms. Over the next months, the king assisted Humpty Dumpty with a slow regimen of daily walks, spiritual disciplines, right? At first, they only walked a few feet. Each day, they walked a little bit further. Finally, they reached the point where the king and Humpty were taking long, leisurely walks along beautiful beaches and green mountain pastures. They enjoyed each other's company immensely. Humpty's walk with the king became the highlight of each day. They became best friends. And then one day it happened. As the two were walking through a a city in the kingdom, they overheard someone ask the question, Who are those two men? And the answer was given. I don't know who the second one is, but... The one on the left, that's old Humpty Dumpty. Remember the guy who had that great fall? That's him, all right. You know, as much as the two look alike and walk and stride with each other, I wouldn't be this surprised if the other one is Humpty's brother. Walking patiently with Jesus each and every day is to become strong in grace. So strong that nothing can get to you. Not criticism. Not the fear that is thrust at us by the world. Not what we've done. Nothing will be able to penetrate. Because this wonderful thing called grace is filling us up. It's spilling over. That's the definition of a strong and bold leader. That's what we're becoming, friends. It's not a whole lot we do. But we learn and discover that God is so good. Let us pray.